In this episode, we get more specific about polyvagal recommendations for classroom structure. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 12 of the Polyvagal Podcast. Last two weeks we spent, Mercedes, we spent talking about danger cues in the classroom, outside the classroom, on the way to school. The path Today, of transition. Yeah, so this episode we are building upon that and talking directly about teachers and what they can do differently in the classroom. My goal with this is to make their lives easier, not add on time to their day because I think it's going to be a big obstacle. And I think I, if, if I was them, the first thing I would think is like, well, if it's more time, I don't have enough time. I don't have time as it is. I got a classroom full of 30 kids or whatever. But the goal here is to add on really simple, not actually not add on, but re- replace. I, there was like, if, if I think if teachers think about how much time they spend with working on difficult behaviors and just like, if hopefully like cut that in half and put that towards relationship building structure, stuff like that, hopefully we'll see the time spent on discipline reduced significantly. So my hope here is that that will be what will happen. Um, but really, these are very simple things that should not add classroom time at all. So um, the first thing we're looking at here is the structure within the routine or the schedule of the day. This is a big one because that's one of the things that kind of starts off the kid's day in class. So we're thinking about, you know, consistency in the classroom kind of is the same as it represents stability in the classroom and stability equals safety. And of course, with polyvagal theory, applying it in the classroom, the biggest thing is safety. Something that helps me conceptualize it for for whatever reason, we're always talking about doing things in the positive, but for some reason, this helps me to think about it in the negative. So if you think about the opposite, if if we have an inconsistent classroom, an inconsistent schedule, an inconsistent routine, what this feels like for the students is uncertainty or chaos. And if they're coming from a home with chaos or whatever environment that is chaotic, then this is an automatic cue of danger. And again, with polyvagal theory, we're trying to avoid cues of danger and increase cues of safety. And that is super true because you don't learn unless you feel safe and you don't feel safe unless you have structure and relationship. And yeah, consistency, consistency, it's its so huge. Think about what I've seen is like the worst time to be in a classroom is when a, a sub comes in. Oh, yes. And it's not because the sub <laughs> is a bad person or a bad sub or whatever, but it's something different. It's new and it's, I, I can't imagine being a sub. I know. I. <laughs> it's actually nightmare. one of my nightmares, I think. Yes. That's exactly, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Because I, you know, I've seen them and and now I have, you know, as a kid, I remember, but now I have an up close and personal like kind of view as another staff member in the classroom. I see the struggle. Struggle is real, Justin. It really is. And, and I, I actually have a, an example of this. It's actually the opposite of what we're talking about. But um, one of the classrooms I work in, the teacher was um, out and she actually has a friend of hers who is also a teacher in the same uh, program as her. And so they know each other. And so their styles are really similar. And so the substitute came in and is similar enough and had the opportunity to plan ahead enough with the teacher that the routine was able to stay more or less the same. And there was more consistency than you usually see with a sub. And the difference is amazing to to how the kids have been in the past with, you know, a random sub. I've seen so, that yeah. too. Yeah, when, it, when a substitute comes in and has a structure and they're, and they're mm-hmm. going that that seems to be a lot better than someone who's you know more passive. 
Mm-hmm, and definitely. sitting there and just trusting the kids will do work or something. But anyhow, um, yeah, so structure is absolutely huge. And one thing that I would encourage teachers to do is if they implement these things, don't give up too early. Structure does yes. take time to kind of... Yes. I've heard it takes six weeks to get used to a new habit. That that applies not just to the kids who are on the receiving end of new structure, but also to teachers who are implementing it. Um, hopefully things get better right away, and I think you'll see uh, some changes right away. But for things to become a habit, it does take, I don't know, we'll say six weeks. But you can't get it week three and, and then like get frustrated yeah. and say, ah, it doesn't work. Like, Just throw no, it no, out no. the window, right. Yeah, if you believe in it, then stick with it. It, it may take a little bit of time, but I, I do think it'll be worth it. I think I can't emphasize that enough. I completely agree with you. And, and it's don't give up. You have to, you have to play by the playbook. You can't just chuck it and say, forget it. I'm going to try something new because by then the kids are starting to build that sense of consistency and it's starting to feel like yeah. a, like a normal routine. And then you say, forget it. I'm done. And then it's starting all brand new again. And again, this is consistency equals safety. Inconsistency equals danger. So we want to stay on the safety side of things. We see this with, I, I see this a lot with uh, parenting also. You give parents mm-hmm. new interventions, yes. they get frustrated. Ah, it doesn't work. No, no, no. Hold up. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> Keep at it. Structure with uh, routine and schedule, mm-hmm. but also, stru- and I will go, we'll go into that, I think, in more detail later on, but um, structure within the visual environment as well. The previous episode we talked about the classroom physical layout where the seats are, um, walking through the classroom, uh, stuff like that. So visual clutter, at, you know, like that's what we call visual clutter is can we see the path of where to walk? Can we actually walk through it without having to do any sort of evasive maneuvers? But on top of that, with uh, with the visual environment is actual clutter that I, I think that Anywhere you go, that if it, if it has more cleanliness and organization, less stuff, that that structure is going to be a safer, calmer, less anxiety-producing place. And I can't think of a place where that's not true. And I think I, I want to be clear for the teachers that are listening out there. This doesn't mean that your classroom has to be perfect. Get rid of the you trim. Know, like The trimmers it, it, have to go. Yeah, get, <laughs> <laughs> yes, please reference <laughs> episode 11 for Justin's issues with the the edgers borders what was the word we decided trimmer. on trimmer trim banners i don't think that's it but um <laughs> but i i was saying justin <laughs> that um <laughs> i don't think this means that your classroom has to be perfect all of the time but what it means is that there are clearly delineated areas for specific things so here is the you know quiet area here is the student learning area this is the teacher area and if kids need something they know where to go to find it to get the materials or whatever thing they need. It, it's not about perfection. It's just about organization. So so keeping things in an area. Yeah. You know. Predictability. Yeah. Predictability. Yeah. Yes. Predictability is huge for these kids that are surviving homes where things are unpredictable. Unpredictable, where, where they yes. Don't, where they don't know what the consequence of their choices is going to be um, or that the consequence will be extreme or th- – th- so – Having predictability, knowing that I mean, it's, that's the I mean, you get the idea is it's huge. Mm-hmm. These kids need predictability, so mm-hmm. part of that is organization. Absolutely, I I don't know if this is going off topic here a little bit, but 
it's putting in mind this, um, there was this research study I heard about, and this was several years ago when I was a baby clinician. And it, it was talking about how there are kids who cannot sequence. So if you're thinking about math or, you know, doing like, um, what do they call it? Skip counting, counting by twos or counting by threes. There are many kids who, because of their home environment, they have no sense of pattern and and sequence. And so that directly affects their academic skills where they cannot, say, put things in order or categorize things by shape or color or, you know, what have you. Uh, and this is, again, it's just the same thing. These are the homes that they're coming from. And so maybe in the school environment, we can give them some of the stuff that they need that they're missing. It, it's a little thing, but it affects so much of their lives. So organization equals stability, huge, and -hmm. stability equals safety. This is the stuff that not all the kids are getting at home. And it's, maybe it's, I don't know if it's right or wrong or maybe not our jobs, but, you know, it it really kind of is. Once they come into our care, it is up to us to provide these things for them. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they should be getting it at home, but the reality is they're not. Um, And they are here, like they're coming to school. That's a huge plus there. So having organization, less visual clutter, less actual clutter, Mm -hmm. that's going to help them with stability and safety, but also helps with independent skills. Like if they know where to go to get something, they don't Mm -hmm. have to ask, you know, they check in with you about it or whatever. They don't have to be dependent upon you or someone else. They can build some independent skills as well. Yes, absolutely. So along with structure, um, consequences. And... I don't think we're, we're not going to talk about what consequences you should implement or not. I, I don't know. I think it feels like it's very different school to school. Obviously, yeah. I read that some states you're still allowed to hit kids. Which blo- I think that's I think that's true. That scares the heck. Yeah. Out. I can't believe that. I know. <laughs> don't hit kids. I know. Don't, don't hit kids. Don't shake babies. These are the no. rules. I know our listeners get that, but yeah. not not everyone's aware of that. Anyhow. I know. I think that's a little bit mind blowing. Yeah, but don't hit children. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't. I don't know. I don't know the the perfect consequence structure, and I will trust that the schools were able to kind of collaborate on that on their own. But we do have some things I think we want to go into. Well, I think it is different um, teacher to teacher. So so yeah, a teacher's yeah. style. You know, there are some teachers that are just a little bit more rigid, and some teachers that are just you know their nature is to be a little more flexible or or whatever. You know, I remember my seventh grade teacher was like very bohemian, you know, so I think consequences shouldn't be like an umbrella, you know, rigid rule. Yeah. Yeah. And really, it's individual. But consequences are huge. That's how we, that's one way that we can learn to make Mm -hmm. better choices and especially through natural consequences. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, you know, if, if consequences are consistent and predictable, that helps us to plan out our choices better. Not yeah. for that, op- like for that time, we get the consequence, but for, it's for the next time. The next mm-hmm. time we can hopefully think things out, take a deep breath, plan things, do some sort of problem solving because we know what the consequence is. Mm-hmm. And these kids are coming from homes where it's not consistent consequences. So in the classroom, whatever your consequence yeah. structure is, you have to be very consistent. It has to apply to everybody in the room equally. Right. And again, consistency is safety. So even even if the child, the student is, is, you know, reprimanded or there's a consequence of some sort, if the consequence is expected and understood, then there's safety in that because maybe they made this choice, you know, intentionally. 
maybe they're testing the boundaries. This is a very normal thing for students to do is testing those boundaries. So, but again, the consistency is the safety. So whatever, like Justin was saying, whatever your consequence routine is, your, your rules, just make it the same, make it consistent across the board. And, and more importantly, that these consequences must be enforced with love. I'll, we'll say love, but I mean caring, yes. compassion, genuine concern about mm-hmm. the the student, and that's all all safety cues. Love, 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 love. Right. Uh, so consist- right. consistency and enforced with genuine caring. I think those two things go hand in hand. Absolutely. It, it, something that I hear a lot from teachers and staff in the classrooms is that you you can't have both. And I, I don't understand that. They are not mutually exclu- exclusive con- sorry, concepts. You can have a consequence and you can lay the consequence down with safe cues. Th- these two things can happen simultaneously. And in fact, I think, I think they should. I think they must. Because if you're laying down a consequence with giving danger cues, then that's a whole other ball of wax we're talking about. So now that, you're re-traumatizing a student. Yeah. And that yeah. would be like shaming Name calling, swearing, monotone voice, um, yelling, calling someone out in front of the class, humiliating them. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's not the appropriate way to do anything, really. But when it comes to safety and consequences, there's none of that's happening. It's it is you're using a prosodic voice. You're getting on their level, right? Making not forcing eye contact, but you're providing your own gentle eye contact, not making them look you in the eye, stuff like that. Yeah. And there's a real opportunity to to connect in that moment because consequences tend to, to tend to feel really negative for a person, for anybody, not just kids, but for anybody. And so in that moment, uh, one of the things that I try and do for myself is I say, you know, I, I'm sorry, like this really sucks. It really stinks that this is happening. You know, these are the rules and, and this is what happened. But I get that you're upset and, you know, just lots of empathy and lots of like you were saying, just all the prosody and, and eye contact. But just kind of coming down with them into that place and and just really empathizing a lot, living in it with them. With a positive expectation that I, I believe in you and I know you can do better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that comes with structure. That's Absolutely. at the same time. Uh, let's talk about suspensions real quick. Um, mm-hmm. These don't do anything for the kid who's in trouble. I don't, these don't, right. I don't think these actually help the kid. These are more about the safety of the school. Right. For you know, in the classroom, the other students for major, major rule violations, mm-hmm. suspensions should not be the go-to at all. Um, and I will let you know the kids that probably that we both both work with, but the high schoolers mm-hmm. that I work with that have the more behavioral, emotional, social problems, they don't care. They so don't care. It's a day off, or two, yeah, or three, and, or and they've whatever. literally told me that. And I don't. The majority of kids I work with aren't quite at that age of high school, but like middle schooler and kind of high like older age, school age kids, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they'll say, Miss Mercedes, I got a day off. I got to play video games all day. I got to eat whatever I wanted. My grandma treated me to ice cream. It's, it's, oh, yeah. there's no, there's no learning of, of any lessons there. It's no. a day off. And really suspension is, I don't know if we can call that a natural consequence. I think if you make right. dumb, if you make dumb decisions, there's a natural consequence of being shunned by the community. So I, I, mm-hmm. I, in a sense, you can make that argument, but I think that you can do like in school suspensions and that might yeah. be more sustainable, but just sending kids home, I don't think is very sustainable. Yeah. It doesn't seem to help 
and actually maybe, I don't know, I, it might, I feel like it actually might make things worse or actually maybe reinforce some of the behaviors. That's, that's my I think, concern. Yeah. yeah. So when you, when you do discipline, don't do it around other kids. And I think this is maybe especially true for high schoolers. Um, probably true for the younger ones as well, I would think, because it's still humiliating, it's still shameful. But for high schoolers who become so keenly aware of others and their image to other people, um, you want you want to pull them aside and talk to them one on one in private, ideally. Uh, don't do it. Don't call them out in front of the other kids uh, in, in class. Really pull them aside as much as you can if you have to redirect them about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can put a positive spin on it, I used to do group therapy with uh, high schoolers and the, the most difficult high schoolers you can get together gang, uh, gang involved, using drugs, all about their image. So what if I had to redirect someone, I, I, like, I would do it. I would point things out, but I, it wouldn't, it wasn't shame based whatsoever. It wasn't humiliating whatsoever. It was just kind of like a, a reminder, like, oh, let's, let's kind of get back on track. Mm-hmm. But really what helped the most was after our little group therapy sessions that I would pull that one person aside and say, hey, let me check in with you real quick. And I, I would let them know, like, or or she, usually it was a he. <laughs> like, you're the loudest one in the room, which I see as a positive. Like, you're a leader. They're listening to you. Everyone's listening to you in the room. Mm-hmm. They're following what you do. And then I'll ask, do you see that? And they'll be like, yes or no, right? And I'll say, like, right. they're following you. Like, you have this natural capacity about you, and I'm seeing you use that in a way that's distracting, that's not helping anybody out. I, I, I would just encourage them to use that natural skill as a positive for the group. Yeah. And a lot of times they would step up and they would do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's, an, that's a yeah. fantastic example because I think sometimes we, the adults, forget that within these, like, quote unquote, problematic behaviors that the kids have, there are, you know, character strengths that they are using of themselves. And so like you were saying, your example, the loudest one in the group, that doesn't have to be a negative thing, but let's just channel that into a more positive outlet. And I think that's true for all these kids. I, I work with one kid who just, this kid, he comes up with the craziest things. He says the craziest stories and just the most like wacky, like unusual things. And finally, he agreed one day to, I, I said, okay, you know, I thought to myself, what can we do with this guy? And I said, hey, why don't you write a story? Why don't you make that into a video game? Actually, I think the video game thing was his idea. But I said, why don't you write it into a story? And so then he started writing out all of these crazy ideas. And he's been doing that for like a year now where he lets out all this imagination and all this energy instead of being silly in class. He saves it for the right time and even uses it as an academic assignment where he's writing his own book. And now he's thinking about getting it published. But, you know, again, like he's he's a wacky little guy and it's just about channeling his, you know, his behaviors into a, an appropriate outlet. I think it's the perfect way to put it is these mm-hmm. these are, you know, they're they're in some sort of sympathetic state. They're in flight or fight mode, right? Typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about channeling that sympathetic energy. It's a, it's about mm-hmm. guiding it and pointing it in a more productive direction, because yeah. all, they're in like coping mode. They're they're in they're doing the best they can to cope with what's going on inside of them, which is based on what's going on outside of them, typically from home. Um, and if we can help them to cope in a more positive direction, that's really what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I I get consequences are important, absolutely. But if we can address these things before the fact, before it becomes 
a consequence issue that that, that really is ideal, I think. So definitely recognizing those kids early on and really helping them point that energy in the right direction in a more productive direction, especially a creative direction. I think it's a beautiful thing to see when these kids realize that they're not bad kids. Right. And again, people can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Um, they're not bad kids. They just have this energy. And, and this one kid that I was giving the example of, he is so excited now and he's so excited to share his stories with everybody. And he talks about being published one day and I'm going to make a gajillion dollars and Miss Mercedes, when I'm famous, are you going to remember me? And, you know, and he's proud of it now, whereas a year ago it was something that caused him shame. So really definitely cool. think of, yeah, definitely think of ways that you can kind of redirect it a little bit. That's really cool because he's thinking about um, his escape from his life and, yes. and what the future will look like. And that's that's him channeling his flight mode energy in the right direction. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to bring up about structure is that, now this is going to sound a little funny, I think, but structure, I think, needs to include flexibility that's built in to meet the student needs. So I think this might sound really contradictory, but it's not. Because if the flexibility is part of the structure, then that is within itself consistency. And that is the routine, is that there is flexibility and availability for other things. So for example, things like alternative seating, where you know maybe instead of sitting in the, a regular chair, they're sitting on uh, what are those ones called? The the yoga balls? What are they called? The, yeah, this is a bunch the of balance balls. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's wobble stools. There's uh, regular stools that aren't chairs, but they're you know four legged stools. Uh, if you want to get super fancy, there's chairs that are like they have bicycles attached to them, so they can engage in that flight mode energy while they're learning in class. Yeah, there's a whole ton of of alternative seating. You know. alternatives um (laughs) (laughs) other ideas would be things like um, fidget objects so um there are so many kids that have the i mean we're talking about fight or flight energy right so these kids have a lot of just movement going on in their bodies and if they have a fidget object in their hands something that's quiet and something that's not distracting to themselves or others but something that is actively releasing this energy that they have I think it's such I, I've I've used this so much with the kids that I work with and the difference is night and day where one day they can't concentrate at all in class and the next day they're concentrating the majority of the time in class and it's just because they're holding this thing in their hand. F- fidgets work really well. Yes. Oh, I'm a huge fan of I fidgets. I love fidgets. Don't, <laughs> don't get me started on fidgets. They, they, work, um, <laughs> they work really well and depending on what state you're in, you play with the fidgets differently. Yes, I I absolutely. It's, you you I think you saw me at that training we went to. It was a mm-hmm. trauma education thing like last year. Yeah, and my I was With like the I was yeah I was mentally like super excited thing. and I was feeling it in my body right, and yeah. I I could not sit still and just listen. I was too like excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was trying to like apparently I was in fight mode or something like that because I was trying to like break the toys. The toys, the fidgets. You remember that? I remember that. Yes, I, I do. I was so worked up, but that helped me to sit still enough. It helps, though, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm a fidgeter. I think you know this of me, Justin. I'm a fidgeter, and I used to do. I would just take a paper clip and just, oh, yeah. you know, I don't know, just like, kind of like a. I'm also a pen clicker, but I would take the paper clip, and whenever I had to do like oral presentations in class or. Once I got out into the professional world, like, you know, speaking at a meeting in front of people, I just have that paperclip in my hand and just 
you know, just, I don't, I don't even know how to describe yeah. it. I wasn't bending it or breaking it, just kind of, you know, clipping it like with my nails or whatever. And, yeah. and that kind of helped me overcome the anxiety and that, that flight mode energy that I had. So many people so, yeah. already fidget, like with, mm-hmm. you know, fingernails, cuticles, um, they, mm-hmm. their legs are like, Tapping running. their feet, tapping yeah, yeah. their legs. Yeah. Like they're already doing it. A lot of it, you know, people listening are already doing that and maybe not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, having the fidget toys or fidgets in mm-hmm. class can be, I think, very productive. Yeah, can, for it sure. It can be very effective in helping a student at least stay still enough to mm-hmm. get through an assignment or to listen better. Yeah. Um, so the fidget objects, the alternative seating is really good. I sat in one of those mm-hmm. wobble chairs. Um, yeah. We went to a class and I sat in one of them. And at first it's like, you know, you have to, it's it's disorienting. because yeah. Right. But yeah. very quickly you have to focus your body and become very aware of where your, mm-hmm. you know, where, where your weight is yeah. going. And eventually it was like, oh, this is nice. I like this. <laughs> yes. It's not, I find myself, um, very again, soothing. I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like if when you and I are doing like presentations and things, I don't know if you noticed that I sway and I, it's just, there's something yeah. soothing in, in the sway and those wobble yeah, stools. Yeah, yeah. There's just something so nice about that movement. Think and, about, and again, think about when like, we, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm uh-huh. awful. I interrupted you. <laughs> when we listen to the music at the beginning, sometimes when I do the music or the, yeah. when we do the music, um, yeah. for music that's more safe, we sway back and forth. We don't, bop mm-hmm. up and down we don't bang our heads up and down mm-hmm. we sway back and forth because it feels safe yes it's it's such a soothing movement and so again yeah. go, going back to the point of like building in the flexibility into the structure if this is just something that's available to the kids there's no judgment surrounding it there's no shame surrounding it like oh i have extra energy and i need to release it, it it's just something that's built into the classroom and so it's something very normal very acceptable and appropriate and i mean you know i love me some sway so <laughs> i need to get myself one of those wobble stools for my desk they're pretty neat what about um they're a cool. quiet or break space the quiet break space i think that is it's so important to have in a classroom this is something so i work primarily in a special education uh, a special mm-hmm. day class in a special education yeah. classroom and so that's something that's built into the program that I work in. But I notice that lots of um, gen ed teachers are starting to to have a quiet space, a break space, because we all need it. Don't We all have this time where we're at work and we're doing whatever thing and like, I just need to get away for a few minutes. I just need to go to a place that feels soothing and relaxing. And again, if it's built into the classroom, it's something where it, that takes away the shame of it. it. This is something that we all need. It's here in the classroom. It's available to everybody. When you need it, go ahead and use it. You know, it's there. And it just, it takes you away from your desk where maybe you're feeling anxious about the work that you're doing. It gives you an an alternative location to go to, to kind of just get that mental break that you need. None of this stuff adds time onto the classroom. Yes. Fidgets don't add time on. Quiet spaces don't add time, do they? Uh, No, I... Unless people are throwing fidgets around fine i think in fact it kind of adds time and i don't know if i'm saying that right but what i mean is the time that a teacher would take normally to say hey billy you know stop tapping stop fidgeting oh yeah right 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 you know Uh, little billy is now he's got a fidget in his hand or he's taking a break in the quiet space and so it's not exactly time added to the classroom but you don't have that negative time of removing minutes of of 
lesson. This should because be you're having this to should correct be it. increasing academic. Yeah, time. learning time. Yes, absolutely. And it, these simple things can help a student get up to safe and social state. Hopefully, at the very least, to be, to be able to tolerate their defensive state. So we're not talking about like curing, it's not curing things, but this might make, it's an outlet. It might make it tolerable. It's just managing it. This shouldn't be a distraction. I know we'll we'll talk about that more. Yeah. But so far what we're talking about, these these things is pretty straightforward. Um, The kids should have access to these in my opinion and have independent access. It shouldn't be a distraction for the classroom. What, one more thing that I wanted to add to that list, so we talked about alternative seating and the fidgets and stuff, uh, movement is a big thing in class. And so, again, I, where I work is the special day class, and so it's very particular, it's a particular group of students, but they have, um, there are some kids that just, they can't sit, they can't sit and they can't sit still. Uh, there's one student I work with who just, if we have him sit in that desk, he is, he's, he's going down the ladder fast fast and hard. And we got a standing desk. So if, I don't know if this is a big thing, but um, the standing desk, it's a, your regular desk, but you can stand at it. And some of them have these built in little, um, I don't know how to describe it. Like you can, it's like a foot rest, but yeah, you can rock your foot. It's like a little bar to put fidget. Yeah. 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 And, uh huh. And, and it's awesome because this, the standing desk allows for a little bit more freedom of movement, not to the point where it's distracting for the rest of the class. The student can still get their work done because it's a desk, but they also can pace if they need to pace or just stand and, and wiggle a little bit if that's what they need to do. So the idea of movement in a classroom, having, having somewhere in the classroom where they can stand up and just walk around for a minute if they need to. Again, I think this one might be a little bit harder to swallow for some teachers just because I think a lot of people will see that as really distracting. But I think it it goes back to what we were saying is thinking about the kids and what they need to help them release the energy that they're feeling in these different levels of uh, like where they are in the ladder. Yeah, this is the the ideal situation is that you, you have these outlets and that kids are making use of them appropriately. And not being distracted. It's the ideal. Anytime you can incorporate like movement, it, that's a it's a very big one because, like we said, being still without being in your social engagement system, it's a tall order. It does not go well. Um, so having opportunities to play, and I there's got to be you really have to be creative. And I think how you include these things in your lesson plan. There's a high school that I go to where they have a gardening project. Um, where they can move, they move outside. They go outside. Outside's a big one too. That's some flexibility there. The teachers, the teachers are super creative with what they do with the kids. They go outside. They feel the sun, breathe better. They're moving around. They're in, um, you know, grass and dirt, and they're they're work. They're physically doing things. They they go right back in the classroom. They're doing something else. But the kids are moving around a lot throughout the day. And they also have that classroom. It's very normalized that they can move somewhere else. If they need some quiet space, go ahead, do your work over there. That's not a problem. You know what I mean? The, the focus is on are you doing the work or not, and what do we need to do to make sure that happens? And they're, they're, they have the flexibility. But that, that is more of a special day class. I think play is huge, and I, I want to be clear. When, we, when we're talking about play, it doesn't mean you're breaking out a board game and everybody sits around and playing. That That's just one version of play. When we're talking about play in the classroom, these can be really minor things, things that, again – 
we're talking about having flexibility within the structure of the classroom. So things that are already incorporated into your structure, this could look like a lot of different things, things like singing, you know, in between lessons or singing the math lesson or, you know, everybody shouts at the same time or, you know, high fives in between or do a little dance or play can be a lot of little, just little things. And like Justin was saying before, it doesn't have to add any time to your day or like, I guess, remove academic time. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be part of what you're already doing in the classroom. And it's just a little bit fun and a little bit silly because when we're learning math and doing it in like Elmo's voice (laughs) rather than boring everyday voice, you know, it, it might stick a little bit more. And, and there's that co-regulation, that connection that we need, you know, so think about play, kind of think about go try and be outside the box and think outside the box a little bit and think about how to make things just a little bit more fun, still learning math and spelling and science and all the things we do, but just make it a little bit, a little bit nutty. High schoolers love the Elma voice, especially. Do they? (laughs) Is that a fact? (laughs) I don't quote me on that. I was, I was always partial to Grover. Oh yeah, totally. Super And Kermit the Frog. Oh, do you remember Kermit? Of course, but no, I'll pass on Kermit. No. Okay. Super Grover all day. Super <laughs> So structure must include flexibility. All right. Yes. Now, I know that as we talk about these things, it's like this is going to be a distraction and um, mm-hmm. this is going to add on time and they'll be throwing these things around the classroom. You can't just dump these in the classroom and say, all right, here, here it is. <laughs> you have right. to really talk about Surprise. like what these are for, normalize it, set the structure around the things and the expectations that you have. I made this mistake uh, in the past where I was in a classroom and provided a student with a stress ball. And he knew what it was about, but the other kids in the classroom didn't. Mm-hmm. So I brought it to him, didn't make a big deal out of it. I was like, here, oh, here you go, because I, I could tell he needed it. And the other kids were like, what about me? And I'm like, oh, darn, because it wasn't normalized for the classroom. Dang it. The kid, the student knew it, what it was about, but no one else did. So it wasn't normalized for the classroom. And I realized, oh, I just threw everything off. And I looked at the teacher. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> so they so they had no context for what they were for. They didn't know how. They weren't being super inappropriate, but they, you know, they were throwing them up in the air. It was a distraction. Right. They were no longer. Because it's li- new. It's novel. So they're going to mess with it. So I had to, I took them away. I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. I let them hang on him for a while. And I was like, all right. It's, it's a distraction. Sorry, guys. I, I got to take them back. And um, so you have to announce what they're about and normalize why they're there. And like model it. Show like squeezing the stress ball. Model it. Show what they're for. Um, but the, these things do have structure. They're not allowed to be thrown around, thrown up in the air. They should not be leaving their hands. Um, you know, standing desks should not be climbed on. It's, it's okay to like to set these expectations out there ahead of time. Yeah. And this is exactly what we're talking about is we're talking about having the structure, which is the consistency that we need in the classroom, but building in the flexibility because that's where we are meeting the kids needs and, and identifying, you know, I see that this will help you and here we go. We're going to make it part of the classroom. It's not just about you. It's about all of us. I and like, I, think I like that idea a lot that it's not, we're not applying, we're not giving these things to that one kid and that's it it's not like special things for the special kid this is for the entire class i have access to if you guys are in like part of the class and we'll talk about this is 
for to help these children recognize where they're at on the ladder. I think it's very easy to do. Is mm-hmm. if, if you feel like your body's in more of and kids are great about their bodies and where they're at. If you feel your body more mobilized, this is what these things are for. This is why we have mm-hmm. a a fidget cube or a fidget mm-hmm. whatever. And mm-hmm. kids can put that together and they can recognize it. And you can even have ch- check-ins during class of like, where are we at on the polyvagal ladder? You don't have to say polyvagal mm-hmm. ladder, but where, right. where are our bodies feeling? Where are we at? And they can do a little yeah. check-in with themselves and you can say, okay, well, who needs to have, who needs to hold the fidget thing? Yeah. You know? So, And I think again, a, a, I'm sorry, a big piece of it is you mentioned before is, is role modeling it yourself. And I, cause sometimes the kids will look at you kind of funny, like, what are you talking about? I get to play with uh, one of the things is that I have is a little tiny orange brain. It just looks like a little brain. They're like, you want me to play with a brain? And so what I've done, I, I run group therapy a couple times a week with um, different classrooms. And I will always, when I offer fidgets, I always grab one for myself. And I'll say, you know what, Miss Mercedes needs a fidget too. I'm going to take this one. And then I pick one. And then I show them, you know, that I'm using it the whole time. And what I've noticed is that sometimes usually the staff, when I'm doing group therapy, the staff will be there as well because they help to manage behaviors. And at first when I started doing a fidget basket and handing it out to all the kids, the adults would always say, no, thanks. I I don't want that because, you know, they'd make that face that says, wow, Mercedes, this is super weird what you're doing. But now (laughs) they always take one as well to the point where like I have to make sure that the kids get them first. So at first they were too cool for it. And then, At first they and were then too it became cool. yeah. a normal part of the structure. Yes. And this this yes. will this will happen with high schoolers. They'll either use it inappropriately or they'll be too cool for it. Definitely. But and over the staff time, too. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. But over time they'll be like, oh, fine, I'll give it a try. Once yeah. they see it's normal and that people aren't being judged for it or singled out, and that's huge for high schoolers. Um, then they'll be like, All right, fine, I'll give it a try. So Whole classroom should have access to, to a fidget, um, and I would I, I like the idea of a basket of having a few different options because they serve different purposes. Yeah, and and different people need different movements. So yeah, I'm, I mentioned before I'm a pen clicker, so sometimes I need that like, you know, that movement. And and I know you, I've noticed that you prefer the, the squeezy ones like the yes, I do. the squishy brain. That yeah, the the squeezy ones do a lot for me. I, I like those a lot. I was mm-hmm. driving I was driving you nuts in a meeting we had recently where I was rolling, yes, I was rolling with a little the basketball. basketball. <laughs> I was rolling it back it was and forth. So distracting. You were not using your fidget appropriately, Justin. For me, it was. <laughs> no, not for me. The I rule, was fine. <laughs> I, the rule that I have when I use the fidgets in group is it should not be distracting to yourself or others. Fine. And you were distracting me, Justin fine it was funny because you tried you tried to okay so this is uh this is how mercedes handled going down the ladder she attempted to get back at me by clicking the pen in my face and i was like i'm fine with that i have no problem with that i know and you were were so disappointed i was i I really was and i was so fulfilled by your disappointment (laughs) i loved it as as usual i think of course the uh the pie was on my face because the the orange ball Orange, yeah. All the orange got on my hands by the end of that meeting, and boy, did I look the fool. All right, so <laughs> whole class has access to it. Um, this is a great physical outlet or a way to cope, and I believe it helps focus. I really believe it helps there focus. Is, yeah, there is some research, I believe. I don't know how legit this research is, but I've read a few articles about the connection between fidgets and focus or attention. I know so, it helps. Yeah. Like it, it really helps me. I, I mm-hmm. really, really helps Absolutely. me out. So these will be misused at first. 
but mm-hmm. you know, normalize, explain what they're for. If you have to take them, it's okay. But it, but that's once it becomes a distraction to people like Mercedes, um, then it's <laughs> it's appropriate. Yeah, you can, you can take it, but not out of anger. Let them know, hey, once you're ready to have it back, I'm happy to give it to you. But for right yeah. now, it's 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 a distraction. You know, po- lots of positivity, prosodic voices. You're not cutting mm-hmm. them off altogether. It's just right now. We got to find something else that's going to work for you. Do you want to stand up and walk around? Because this fidget right now is not helping. Um, but yeah. I see you have a lot of energy going on inside of you. Do you want to stand in the back of the classroom? Do you want to like push up against the wall? Like if we'll talk oh. about this in a little bit. Do you um, need a wobble stool? A do you standing need a wobble desk? Stool? There you go. A what? <laughs> oh, standing, standing desk. desk. I thought you said yeah. a standing vest. No, I That'd did not. That'd be a lot different. <laughs> well, and this goes back to the point that we were making at the beginning of this episode about you don't want to abandon the structure if it doesn't work. So this is a good example of, you know, teachers and staff will say, well, it's not working. They're throwing the toys all over the place and they're not using them appropriately. Of course not. They're brand new. They're novel. They're toys and they're fun and they're cool and they're going to test them out. But you have to stick to it. And like Justin was saying, set the parameters around it, send the, set the boundaries around it safely with your safety cues, with your prosody. And then eventually it will become a regular part of the classroom and you will see that these kids will just get up when they need it and grab their fidget, come back to their desk and then be super on it. That's, that's the hope, right? But if they're not able to be super on it, that they can recognize like, this isn't doing it for me. I have to, maybe I'm down the ladder further than I realized that I thought I was at first. And now I need to do something that's more physical with my arms versus just, you know, standing at the desk or something like that. So I really think that as this is normalized and as these words like, you know, the ladder and how our bodies are feeling, flight, fight, freeze, that kids can get these very simple concepts and and begin to realize where they're at and then to adjust it and utilize what is in the room. So the other thing that we can provide is a quiet space, which we talked about briefly. It's just, you know, if you need space to go to this place, I've seen classrooms that have like pillows on the floor or like a little, like a small library that a kid could hang out in. Um, it's just quiet personal time until the child's ready to return. This is not, you know, go over there and use your cell phone. That's right. That's not right. the same thing. And kids will say, well, I, but I cope with my cell phone. Eh, nice but it, try, kid. Using your cell phone is not really a way to, I mean, I, I, I see what they're saying. I get it. But that's not actually helping us to move up the ladder. Yeah. It's, it's not really helping us build a safe and social skill or relationship. Um, it's not actually helping us focus on the assignment. It's really, yeah. it's, it's just pure distraction. And it's distraction. They're not dealing with yeah. any of the emotion or the, the state that they're in. They're just no. putting their brains in a different what, place. And what I've noticed with like with my own kids is if they watch the tablet or TV or they don't have a phone, but if they, if they have screen time, they're worse off immediately after they're worse off because they're now in this sort of like they're sitting still, but they're very stimulated by whatever they're watching, but they're, but they're not discharging the energy. So once the stimulus is shut off the screen, now they're stuck in and now they're not still anymore. Now they're mobilized and they have all this energy that kind of built up from watching Ninjago (laughs) or Minecraft videos where the person playing the game is like yelling and super hyper the whole time. And every time when they shut these things off, my kids go nuts because they have to burn off this yeah. energy. And I know it's they happening. Have all that energy. Yeah. yeah. So it, screen time does not actually help. It may help 
it doesn't help. It just, it just doesn't help to relieve any of what we're going through. It's a distraction, but it, it doesn't it doesn't actually help to move up the ladder. I don't think it's pure distraction. So I would say these things are not allowed. If they want to distract themselves by reading a book, that's more appropriate. That's yeah. more creative. We're using our imagination. We're using our executive functioning by you know going into wonderful worlds with purple clouds and wonderful dragons in the sky and whatnot. So that's different than, you know, watching a Minecraft video or right. what or or a fight video on YouTube. <laughs> that's a lot right. different. <laughs> so a quiet personal time and whenever you're ready to come on back. This mm-hmm. is not and I think that the concern here will also be well we're letting our the kids just go mess around. Um Yeah. No, the the, the reality is if they're sitting in their desk, they're not paying attention, they're not benefiting, they're not learning. Anyways, so that what this does is give them the power to say, I need to take a little break. Let me come out of whatever funk I'm in. I will come back when I'm ready. That's very empowering. It's an independent skill, which is nice. It's self-regulation. Yes. Um, ultimately, it's self-regulation, which is nice. Uh, but but no, it's not just mess around time. And I think that as you normalize that, you won't see kids going over there just to mess around. Maybe, maybe at first. Yeah, sure. They're gonna. They're gonna I, test I think the at boundaries. first it's gonna be the same thing where where it's gonna be misused and it's gonna be kind of taken advantage of a little bit. It's the same thing we were talking about with the fidgets. It's it's new and different, and so they're gonna try and you know get what they can out of it. But as you're saying, as soon as it becomes a normal part of the class, when when this is the structure and you've stuck with it for those six weeks, give or take. Um, you'll see that this is a really beneficial tool that the kids can use and and the whole class will start to use it. (laughs) Announcements. Justin, what have we got coming up? After the Polyvagal School Series, we've got two major things planned out. Actually, we've already been talking about some really fun ones beyond that, but um, for the immediate future, two major things planned out. The first one is I am interviewing Dr. Porges. That'll be launching in about three weeks for everyone to hear. He's and really excited, guys. I'm so excited. After you listen to my, I'm sure will be epic interview with Dr. Porges. Brilliant. We, even. we will be doing something called the Climbing the Ladder series. That will start pretty much right, so soonish. I would say maybe four weeks out. So between now and then, we want to hear how you, dear listener, how you use the polyvagal theory in your own attempts to climb up the polyvagal ladder. And Mercedes and I will be sharing ours as well. Of course, that's fair. Submit this. And the reason here is that people um, have been DMing or emailing me about what to do with with this information. How do I get up the ladder? How do I heal my vagus nerve? Um, stuff like that. And... I'm reluctant to tell people what to do because I don't know you in your life. I don't know what's best for you, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. But um, I'll, I'm happy to share what I do. I think Mercedes is okay with sharing what she does. And I, mm-hmm. I would love to hear from people. I want to hear from yoga instructors, meditation people who do their meditation thing. I want to hear from, you know, massage therapists, teachers, everybody. So send us what we're asking for here is and this is the one favor that we'll ask you for this week submit 
how you use this polyvagal theory to climb up the polyvagal ladder, submit that in audio form. You can do that really easily through Instagram direct messages. There's actually an audio function where you can record your voice. Um, you could also, if you have the Anchor app, you can record voice messages and send them to me. And, or you could also just email me, like use your phone, record an audio clip and email it to me as an attachment or a video clip as well. I can, I can take the audio out of it. Uh, but there's plenty of ways to send me some audio. I want to hear from you, dear listener, directly. If you don't want your voice on the podcast, just write it out, DM me, email me, or, or Mercedes. Or me. Yeah, I'm here too. Email or DM one of us. And we will keep things anonymous if that's what you want. You can share your story, share how you're using this stuff. We'll keep it anonymous. Um, maybe just say where you're from. It might be kind of interesting, but not your name, nothing like that. So here's the deal. If we get a big response, this series will start sooner and last longer. So if we have a lot of responses, we'll be able to play a lot of those. And I really want to share on a personal level from each of you like how you're, how you're using this information so that other people can ben- directly benefit from it. But if I only get a few responses and it takes a long time, then this series will not be happening in a month or so. This could be really fun, you guys. This is our co-regulation through the podcast. Hey, there you go. I think it really could be so. We are entirely relying upon you. If we don't get anything, it's basically Mercedes and I just sharing our own tips. Yeah. And that's going to (laughs) suck. Yeah. We suck. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. I... Mercedes and Thank I both you. hope that this has brought you some value. If you have a question about anything, we'd love to hear it. Maybe address it in a future episode or um, blog post. Feel free to contact either of us. Thanks a lot. Bye.